in the NFL offseason, dynasty players, NFL enthusiasts, players of all kinds are always itching to understand who the next crop of players are that'll be entering the NFL. At this point in the season, we've already had the opportunity to watch these players play in college, we've had the opportunity to watch the Senior Bowl, the NFL Combine, and now we're in the thick of pro days. But usually by this time in the NFL offseason, we have a pretty good idea of what the next crop of players looks like. And so it's only fair that we take a look at the next draft, take a look at who's going to be going 101 overall in a lot of your rookie drafts, and maybe even some team projection, like where these players are going to go in the draft and specifically to what teams. My name is Abhi Gupta. Thanks for watching today's video. You can always find me on Twitter, at RealAbiGupta, where I'll be sharing all of my takes in real time. But of course, if you love this type of content, whether it's fantasy, or dynasty, or scouting, or just following all NFL trends, we've got you covered here at The Breakout. So if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure to like this video and subscribe to our channel so you don't miss a thing. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, to follow our podcast so that you are notified for every new episode that we release. Finally, make sure to comment down below about content that you want us to cover this offseason, whether that's team projections, questions that you have as a fantasy player, or just anything football related. Let's get started. Now for those of you who play Dynasty, you probably know that this is a pretty different class. You know, in the last couple of years, we've had some bona fide number one quarterbacks who are, you know, very, very clear-cut one-on-ones, right? We had Joe Burrow and Tua as the debate in 2020. We had Trevor Lawrence as really the main quarterback of last year's class, alongside a lot of strong other quarterbacks that people liked, including Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. And in Dynasty, especially when you play Superflex and you've got two quarterbacks, you know how much positional value really matters. You know, like, it doesn't matter if Jonathan Taylor is on the table, simply having a starting quarterback that has the potential to reach tier one status is really, really valuable. And when you're going one-on-one overall, you're almost baking in that price with that pick. So either you're going to pick a quarterback one-on-one overall, or you're going to trade it to somebody who will. But in this draft class, we have heard time and time again that the quarterback class isn't really the same as most other years. And so that leaves people who have the 101 overall pick in a bit of a predicament. Do you still take a quarterback even though there are way more question marks than other years and we know how low the hit rates are with quarterbacks? Do you take a running back who could potentially have a low shelf life? Do you take a tight end? Nah, let's not go down that route. Or do you take a wide receiver who, you know, could very well become the next Jamar Chase if you believe that strongly? Well, I'm here to give you some answers, so let's go right into the 101 pick. The 101 in a Superflex Dynasty draft, according to the breakout, is Brees Hall, running back out of Iowa State. Now, of course, we've talked about the positional value of running backs on this show before, but the fact of the matter is that Brees Hall is the most solid player that we have seen in this entire process. We already knew, coming out of college, that Brees Hall was killing it. He started since his freshman year. He led the nation in rushing in 2020. And during that same year, he had 100 more rushing yards than Najee in one last game. So really what we know about Brees Hall is that he's steady. He does a lot of things pretty well. He doesn't do any one thing necessarily better than everybody else, but you really can't poke a hole into his game. Now, in some of the previous episodes, we've talked about the film grades that these players get, and Brees Hall is right up there at the top of the class. You know, I think Kenneth Walker had a 6.35 grade, according to Lance Airline, and Brees Hall had a 
6.34 grade, um, which really means that they're pretty identical. And Kenneth Walker doesn't have all of these other accolades and all of these other stats to really back up the longevity of his career. Now, Brees Hall has, you know, already killed it, you know, from the perspective of what he did in college. He really only solidified his stance even further in the NFL Combine. And it's pretty clear that he is going to be the number one running back taken off the board unless some team does something janky. Now, one of the things that I really try to look for is draft capital. We know that you shouldn't draft a running back in the first round. The value just isn't there, whether it's Zeke. Zeke is probably the closest running back who went number one overall uh, that really, you know, even came close to being worth it uh, in the actual NFL draft. Saquon, I still argue, shouldn't really have, uh, you know, the value uh, that we think that he does. He, you know, he looking back, he doesn't really warrant the pick that he was selected with. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, you know, overdrafted. And I would say even Najee Harris, like we weren't really expecting him to go in the first round, but the Steelers took him anyway. And because of the situation with Ben Roethlisberger, he just got like all of the volume on that team. I think that that was a very situational case. Given that, I think that some team is going to end up taking Brees Hall number one overall, and it'll probably be a team that feels like they're a piece away. I really, really like the opportunity for him to go to Buffalo if he's still available. Um, I could see them taking a chance there. Hell, I could even see him go to a team uh, like the Cowboys. I mean, for all we know, some team is going to take a plunge on a running back in the first round, and I think that Brees Hall has the highest likelihood of that happening. As I mentioned in my running back video, Brees Hall has the ability to be situation-proof. So you put him in a pass-catching situation, he'll do fine. You put him in a workhorse back situation, he'll be fine. He will play three downs as well. So that means that, you know, if you are in the 101 position, you have the opportunity to take a player who has really drastically reduced his bust chances. That chance will always exist. But Brees Hall, I really, really like his profile. I really, really think that he has the opportunity to succeed uh, either on a contender uh, or, you know, on a team somewhere in the middle. And I think that he will be, you know, like a Jonathan Taylor-esque player who has, you know, a five-year window to really, really make an impact. I think Brees Hall also has the opportunity to appreciate as a player, just like Jonathan Taylor did in 2020. Jonathan Taylor was a really, really strong prospect coming out of college, and he still went, you know, somewhere in the top four picks of the 2020 draft, and he's only appreciated. Now, granted, he's become the number one overall, you know, fantasy scoring player in some formats, too, if you, you know, are playing PPR and Cooper Cup is number one. Uh, but overall, you know, compared to even if you took Jonathan Taylor 101 overall uh, in 2020, his value has appreciated. And I feel like Brees Hall has a really, really strong opportunity to do that. So if you are looking for a player who is going to maximize your chances of being successful, I really like Brees Hall. Number two, wide receiver Traylon Burks out of University of Arkansas. Now, many of you are probably wondering, what the hell, we're two picks in and you haven't picked a quarterback? Traylon Burks has been my number one receiver pretty much all throughout this process. And I actually think the fact that he ran a 4 5 5 uh, 40 during the NFL Combine is actually a really, really good thing for a player like him. Because many people read into the statistics that you get at the NFL Combine and they go, oh, he's not as fast as I thought. Oh, he he's not, you know, as special as we thought. Oh, look at this data that points out that these other players are more athletic than him. If you look at the raw athletic score that these players get, and you compare it and you uh, correlate it to their success in the NFL, you can see that athleticism has pretty much nothing to do with the success of the players. 
It matters a lot more about their technicality. How well do they do in you know the short game and in these situations that aren't just straight line running. If it straight line running was the metric that made players successful, Henry Ruggs would have been the number one receiver uh, in the NFL for two years while he played. Why is him not doing as well in the NFL Combine a good situation? Well, based on all of the noise that I'm hearing, that means that Drake London is going to be elevated above Traylon Burks in the NFL Draft. Teams are going to be looking more favorably towards Drake London and less favorably towards Traylon Burks. So why is that a good thing? Well, that means that someone like Traylon Burks will fall to a better team inherently. If you are a player who gets drafted later, you are going to a better team, especially in the first round. And there's no way that Traylon Burks is leaving the first round. I could see him going to a team like Philadelphia, you know, with Jalen Hurts throwing to him, or very much so the Green Bay Packers, because now they have pick number 22 and are in dire need of a number one wide receiver after Devontae Adams was traded. I mean, I really don't expect any of the teams at the top of the draft to be really prioritizing wide receivers. The Jaguars, maybe, but they're probably going to go edge. The Lions, the Texans, the Jets. I mean realistically, most of these teams are not going to go wide receiver. The Jets, if they were to go wide receiver, are most likely to take Drake London, again from the projections that I've been reading. So you combine the fact that Traylon Burks has, you know, really, really good body mass, right? He, we, we know how big he is. We know how tall he is. We know that he's been able to really beef up and be used all across the offense at, at Arkansas with his frame. I mean, as I mentioned in the wide receiver video, he was used out of the backfield he was used in the slot, he was used out as the X receiver, he was used as a blocker, he was used uh, for, for screen passes. I think that, again, like uh, Brees Hall, this player is really, really situation proof and he's shown it on the field where you know he's been used all across the offense and you know it doesn't really hurt that he played in the sec which many people consider to be nfl level talent all across the board so when i look at Traylon burks i'm looking at a guy who has the size i'm looking at a guy who doesn't have an injury history and i'm looking at a guy who is more likely than not to go to a better team later on in the draft and so if you tell me that he goes to a situation like Philadelphia, where, you know, now Devonta Smith slips into the two, you don't really have to worry about Jalen Rager anymore or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, any of those guys, I mean, Jalen Hurts is already doing his magic and somehow they reached the playoffs last year. You add in now a bona fide number one wide receiver, and I think that there's infinite possibility with how well Traylon Burks can be. Now, the one caveat that I'd like to add is that no receiver in this draft class stacks up to Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was one of one. There are no other receivers like Jamar Chase out there, at least in this draft class. And look, man, I mean, he played on the greatest team in all of college history. He did everything that he did as a freshman. He sat out for a whole year, and all of those numbers still stood and allowed the Cincinnati Bengals to take him at five overall. I think that when you look at Traylon Burks, he is not going to have the type of rookie season that Jamar Chase did, but Lord have mercy, he's still definitely the number one for me in this draft class. So that brings us to the 103 pick, and I gotta go with Drake London out of USC. Now, you're probably going, Abby, you were just giving us all the reasons why you wouldn't take Drake London at over Traylon Burks. And that's true. Comparing those two prospects, I still prefer Traylon Burks. But 
When we now move to the next set of wide receivers that are available, I really like the fact that Drake London was the entire offense at USC. And when he got injured with his leg injury or his ankle injury uh, midway through the season, USC's offense really couldn't do anything. I mean, he is coming into the NFL with, you know, a, a bone injury, which is unfortunate, but it, it's, again, a lot easier to come back from than any type of muscle injury. And, you know, when he did play, he showed you that he can be an alpha. I mean, I've talked about how much, uh, you know, Drake London has the ability to leverage his size in order to make an impact on the NFL field. And again, like if you look at his BMI, 24.9, standing at 6'5", 210 pounds, uh, a breakout age of 18, like he checks a lot of the boxes that you're looking for. Uh, Traylon Burks is just more preferable to me. But at 103, I, again, think that he has the potential to go to a team like the Jets, where he would be the number one receiver for Zach Wilson. I've seen some projections where he ends up in New England, and so either you can take that as, oh, he's gonna bust because New England doesn't know how to take wide receivers, uh, or you can take a look at it and say, okay, now Mac Jones is throwing to him, so he's got you know a, a pretty high floor in terms of the number of receptions that he'll get. I've seen him projected to Atlanta, which after Matt Ryan was traded, you know, I don't I don't really know what that means, but. If you take a look at, you know, Drake London and Kyle Pitts potentially being in an offense together, uh, you know, he has the potential to draw a lot of attention or have a lot of attention directed towards Kyle Pitts. And that leaves Drake London, you know, open for, for volume passing. I think all things said, I really like Drake London as a volume wide receiver in the NFL, at least at the top end of his um, player pro uh, profile. And all things said, if he wasn't injured, I think that he would have a lot more of a debate uh, to Traylon Burks as the number one receiver in this draft class. Uh, but you know, if I'm sitting there at 103 and I have the option to take who would be a wide receiver one in a lot of draft classes uh, at the third overall position, I would be licking my lips ready to click that draft button. Number four, Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty. Finally, we're taking a quarterback in this draft, and it's about due time. If you're sitting at the 104 position in this draft, uh, and you have a quarterback like Malik Willis sitting at your lap, I again am, you really, really can't wait to, to smash the draft button for this player. Now, I think it's really important to call out what Malik Willis brings to the table. We've seen all of the videos of him, you know, donating uh, or, or, or supporting a homeless person, um, you know, and, and I think that that speaks a lot to his character. We've seen his videos at the NFL Combine and at his Pro Day, where he's launching the ball 65 to 70 yards downfield. Uh, and we've seen that he has a lot of the physical traits that you want to see in a quarterback uh, who's coming into the NFL. But I think what's really, really important to understand is that much like Trey Lance, this player is super duper raw. And so that means that he is not going to be making an impact in the first year uh, in the NFL. He's going to need time to develop and his situation is going to matter a lot. I took a look at just the NFC for places that a quarterback might end up getting drafted. And here's the list that I could come up with. Detroit, who has the second overall pick. The Giants, who have the fifth and seventh overall pick. Carolina, who has the 6th overall pick, Atlanta, who has the 8th overall pick, Seattle, who has the 9th overall pick, and New Orleans, who has the 18th overall pick. So when you look at just the top 10, you have Detroit, Seattle, the Giants, Carolina, and Atlanta. So we have already 5 teams that are quarterback needy that might pounce 
in the first 10 picks of the NFL draft. And so when you look at the number of teams that might want to pounce on Malik Willis, I don't think that he's going to escape the top 10, which means that he's going to be getting really, really important draft capital, which is a strong correlator to how many opportunities and how much, how many resources are going to be invested in his development. I think that if he ends up in a place like Seattle, he will get the opportunity to sit. If he goes to Detroit, he will be sitting and learning under Jared Goff, who, you know, is still an NFL starter who got to the Super Bowl. If he goes to Carolina, I think that he'll have the opportunity to develop under Matt Rule, playing behind Sam Darnold, who, you know, ultimately is going to be, uh, you know, someone who uh, is a stopgap quarterback for the Panthers. If he goes to Atlanta, he's going to have weapons that he'll have the opportunity to play with, such as, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley when he comes back. Um, there are options in Atlanta, but that team is in a rebuild, so it makes total sense for them to draft a quarterback that is a project. And finally, if you look at a team like the New York Giants, you have the opportunity for this quarterback to learn under Brian Dable with a team that generally has some talent on it, um, and it is entering a, probably the weakest division in the NFL. I think Malik Willis is a quarterback who just inherently I'm going to bet on the upside because there's a lot of opportunity for him to realize even 50% of what he could be. And as we always know, quarterbacks don't really depreciate after year one. So if I'm sitting at the fourth overall pick, I'm definitely taking this guy. Number five, Isaiah Spiller, running back out of Texas A&M. I really like Isaiah Spiller's profile. After spending some more time looking at the comments that I got underneath my video, uh, flaming me for not having Isaiah Spiller higher. Um, and you know, I think the fact of the matter is that Isaiah Spiller is the type of guy that the NFL likes to draft. I can expect him to get second round draft capital. I can expect him to go to a team that will invest in him. And I think that he is NFL ready. So that means that a player like him is going to enter the NFL with a lot of the skills and a lot of the opportunities to defeat the narrative that is plaguing him right now, which is that, well, he was cuffed right? He got less than 50% of the backfield share of, of carries and, and receptions. And that's scaring a lot of people off in the analytics community. But as we've talked over and over again, uh, Isaiah Spiller has what film guys love. He's got explosiveness. He's got the ability to uh, change direction. His top speed um, from you know some of the metrics that I've been seeing are over 21 miles an hour. So he's got the speed that you want to see in the NFL. I think Isaiah Spiller has a lot of potential and I think that he is uh, a running back that you know is pretty much in that top tier of this running back class so if I'm looking for a guy who can anchor my team and has the opportunity to score a lot of points in the NFL Isaiah Spiller is a guy that I would love to take at the five position now Isaiah Spiller did run a 4.63 40 time which is um, almost 0.2 seconds uh, a little bit more than 0.2 seconds less than Brees Hall at the NFL Combine where he ran a 4.39 uh, but all things said you know I'm not really worried about that type of speed. I think any running back that's taken, you know, in the second round um, still gets tangible enough uh, resources. They may have to prove themselves on an NFL team like Jonathan Taylor did um, when he was taken in the second round and then was doghoused uh, midway through the season in 2020 until he really proved himself, came on late, killed it at the end of 2020, and then proceeded to kill it even further in 2021. I really think that Isaiah Spiller has the opportunity to be a player like that for an NFL franchise. 
Isaiah Spiller has a 32% missed tackle rate, uh, which is uh, on par with the other two tier one running backs for this class, Brace Hall and Kenneth Walker. And he also has, um, you know, a, a pretty high career explosive uh, rush percentage, um, 16%, which is higher than Brace Hall's. You know, when I re-evaluate this player's profile as a prospect, I'm understanding that there is a lot of context that needs to be given to Isaiah Spiller. And, you know, when you look at the metrics that underlie his performance in college, I really do think that Isaiah Spiller has the opportunity to become the number one running back from this draft class. But given the data that we have right now, he feels like a number two. Now, why do I have him at 105? Well, the reason is because now the entire community is starting to fade him, which means that you have an opportunity to get a number one running back type player at a number five position. And so that means that you have value to extract here. You could go with the quarterback, you could go with another wide receiver, but I think that this running back has a lot of upside that you should be taking at the number five overall position in your dynasty draft. Number six, Garrett Wilson wide receiver at Ohio State. Now, I had Garrett Wilson pretty low in my original wide receiver video, and many of you didn't really agree with my take, and so I really wanted to understand what was I missing, if anything at all, and I went back and reevaluated his prospect profile. Now, his numbers were what really scared me, right? Most of you were like, how can you index so hard to his numbers? What were they? Well, he performed pretty decently, 70 catches, uh, almost 1,100 yards receiving, 12 touchdowns, and he had a 21.4% dominator rating. He has a pretty good BMI of 26, uh, a bre breakout age of 20.1, and has a 2.14 receiving yards per team pass attempt. Uh, all statistics that, you know, they pass the bar. But I was spooked by the fact that his breakout age was 20. Seemed a bit high for me. But when you take a look at his film, right, the film is where everybody falls in love with Garrett Wilson. He's extremely quick on the release, uh, he gets free really quickly, He uh, his releases are really clean, um, he, he's pretty much able to put the defender on skates, and he's really, really acrobatic when he's, you know, got the ball in his vicinity, always comes down with it. We have this very iconic image of Garrett Wilson going up and making an acrobatic catch in the uh, college football um, playoff semifinal against Clemson. And I think that, you know, I, I really do think that I over-indexed on the breakout age. If you take into account the fact that he played with Jackson Smith and Jigba, and he played with Chris Olave, and yet he still was able to surpass a 20% dominator rating, and he was able to do all of this while playing with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave, and while CJ Stroud struggled for, you know, the first quarter of the season, I, I think that it is really impressive, and, and Garrett Wilson has now done this across two quarterbacks, uh, both Justin Fields uh, and CJ Stroud in 2020 and 2021, respectively. I think Garrett Wilson has a lot of potential in the NFL. Um, he is a player that so, so many people think uh, would have gone to the Raiders had they not traded for Devontae Adams. You look at his combine measurables, he ran a 4-3-8, which is fast, but not too fast, right? Um, guys who have like the fastest speeds generally seem to flame out in the NFL, um, but his 40 speed is right in that sweet spot between 4.3 and 4.5. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that for a guy who has a 26 BMI, that's pretty fast. Um, his shuttle speed was really good. Uh, he had a vertical jump of 36, um, and he received an NFL prospect grade of 6.5, which means that he's a boomer bust prospect. And I think that really, like, that is how I view Garrett Wilson 
Wilson. He has the potential to be a monster in the NFL. He also has the potential to flame out. But the more that I look at his tape, the more that I look at his potential, I think I'd like to take him uh, at this spot as the third wide receiver off the board ahead of some of the other running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks because he's just got that kind of upside. And when you're drafting in these rookie drafts, your goal is to maximize the number of chances that you have to land a Jamar Chase type player, a Joe Burrow type player, a player who's going to make an, an impact that is game breaking like a Josh Allen. And so Garrett Wilson gives you that potential. It's up to him to realize it. At 107, I'm going to be taking Kenny Walker out of Michigan State University. Now, Kenny Walker has dropped to my running back three, despite a lot of great production that he's had in the NFL Combine. Um, and and I, let me explain why. Kenny Walker is a guy who, as we talked about in my running back video, um, he's a guy who had to switch from Wake Forest over to Michigan State, found a lot of success, and this year he's really increased his draft stock. Um, he has been really, really successful running the ball, but he hasn't really seen a lot of success catching the ball. And that's really where I'm concerned about his player profile. He obviously might have that repertoire. He might obviously have the ability to develop the pass catching ability, but as of the data that I have right now about this player, he has really two down appeal. And in those two downs, when he runs, he will be electric. But in Dynasty, I also care about receptions and I care about receiving yards because that's where a lot of these fantasy formats really give you those points. Now, Kenny Walker, again, can develop that skill set. I think that it's totally within uh, the realm of possibilities that he already has that repertoire, but we don't have any data to back it up, while with Spiller and Hall, we totally do. I also think that it's interesting that Kenny Walker, you know, ran a 4-3-8, he's shown a lot of ability to block, he has signals that can, you know, really show us that he will be an effective runner in the NFL and will be effective in ancillary positions, uh, such as run blocking, such as pass blocking, um, and having the ability to really round out his opportunities on the field. But I don't think any team currently views Kenny Walker as a top running back. And so that means that if we're projecting Brees Hall to go somewhere in the first round uh, to early second, we expect Isaiah Spiller to go somewhere in the second round. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kenny Walker go late second or somewhere in the third. He's definitely going to get drafted. Some team is going to pick him up. But after this, you have a massive, massive drop off in running back uh, uh, player uh, potential in this draft class. So with all of that being said, I think that if you have the opportunity to draft Kenny Walker, I think that he will be a running back one at some point in his career. But will he be as dynamic and as you know electric as an Austin Eckler who has both the rushing and the receiving ability? Uh, as of right now, the data doesn't exactly point to it. And so he falls to my third running back at number seven overall. At number eight, I'm taking quarterback Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett going at number eight overall in a Dynasty Superflex rookie draft is kind of absurd, right? How can the second quarterback be coming off of the board with the eighth overall pick? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Kenny Pickett is going to get drafted in the first round, but he is nowhere close to the level of player that we have seen in previous drafts. 
When I made my quarterback video back at the end of the college football season, I had Malik Willis as my number two overall quarterback. And I said that if he gets more attention, I can see him going as the number one overall quarterback. Kenny Pickett has one thing on his side. It's experience. Kenny Pickett has played for, what, now five years of college ball, and across all of the four years that he started at Pittsburgh, he really has just been a steady guy. He really only popped his senior year, and honestly, I'm not sure that he popped for any other reason besides who else were you really going to look at. Kenny Pickett's gotten the attention of a lot of NFL franchises. We've heard rumors of him getting drafted by Seattle or Carolina or Atlanta or even New Orleans. And I think that all of those places, you know, are, are very valid options for him to go. But I definitely don't think that he is a game changer. And I definitely don't think that he's a quarterback that's going to like completely revolutionize a franchise. I think that his ceiling is a quarterback who you know has the potential to be a solid starter in the nfl i mean look at a guy like kurt cousins or hell even look at a guy like andy dalton in his prime years uh which is actually kenny pickett's comp according to lanzier line um he's not a bad quarterback and he's definitely going to put up fantasy points as a quarterback. The, the fact of the matter is, is that Kenny Pickett doesn't have the dynamic rushing ability, you know, besides the fake slide uh, that you saw during the ACC championship game. Um, he will run, you know, he has um, some mobility, but he's no Malik Willis. He's no Justin Fields. He's no Kyler Murray. He's no Russell Wilson. He, he can get himself out of trouble, but he's only really going to give you passing upside, which we haven't really seen as game breaking in the couple of years that he's played college. I think that, you know, he he has the tools in order to be successful in the NFL. I think he shows anticipation. I think that he shows the ability to read defenses. Um, but his skill, you know, physically um, and, and how he's really performed on the field doesn't really give me a lot of confidence that he's going to become a Josh Allen type or, you know, a, a, a top tier quarterback that you would expect to see um, at the top of those dynasty rankings. And so when you look at the upside of the other seven players that were drafted ahead of him, I really think that Kenny Pickett is that kind of guy that, you know, if he hits, he's going to turn into a Kirk Cousins. It's the same type of argument that I made about Mac Jones last year. Mac Jones may have a lot of, uh, you know, fans on his side because of his high floor, but I'm not really chasing floor in the NFL. Um, I'm really chasing for players who have the ability to make game-breaking impact, and I'm chasing upside every single place that I go. Kenny Pickett, if you're telling me that his NFL comp is Andy Dalton in his prime years or Kirk Cousins, I'm going to really try to exhaust my other options before I come to a guy like him. Now, looking at the things that he could be, I think that he has the potential to be a steady QB2 on your roster. Um, much like I view Mac Jones and much like I view Kirk Cousins, with the exception of last year. Kirk Cousins balled out last year, but let's face it, he's like 30 plus. It took him a very, very long time to become the Kirk Cousins that, you know, really, really uh, performed on the field and didn't slump in these primetime games. Uh, Kenny Pickett has the ability to be someone who anchors your team, but he's not going to be the guy who's scoring the points that win you a championship. And so for that reason, with the eighth overall pick, I think that Kenny Pickett can be a good value here. You're getting a quarterback, you're getting a guy who's going to make an impact on your team as a QB2, and he's going to have a pretty low ceiling, but he's also going to have a pretty low floor, a pretty high floor, which means that he's going to guarantee you some points if he ends up hitting as a quarterback in the NFL. Number nine, Matt Corral, quarterback out of Ole Miss. 
where has Matt Corral gone? I mean, he was my number one quarterback back in the fall time. He was everybody's quarterback number one in the fall time. And then he simply hurts himself and now we don't even talk about him anymore. And I think that's a good thing for him because what that means is that he's going to fall in this draft. And if he ends up at a, in a place like New Orleans, I can really, really see the potential for Matt Corral to be a player who realizes that QB1 upside that I thought that he had at the start of the season. Now, Matt Corral is a kind of quarterback that, you know, he was the best of a pretty mid bunch, honestly. Um, he was undersized, he lacks the measurables, he has arm strength concerns, um, he has, you know, uh, the ability to run. But I think that what people really like about him is that he's really aggressive. He has shown that at his time during uh, during his time at Ole Miss, where he was really aggressive with the vertical passing game. Um, we've seen that he doesn't really throw a, a lot of turnovers. He had 16 touchdowns and two picks last season. Um, and overall, you know, his completion percentage was around 67%. So that means that he has a lot of the skill sets that you want to see in a quarterback. Uh, but he's got that injury, right? And that injury is always what's going to scare a team, especially if they're drafting in the top 10. Now. I would anticipate that Matt Corral doesn't get drafted by any of those top 10 teams that I mentioned, um, simply because of his injury. But if he is falling towards the latter part of the rounds, I could see a team like Pittsburgh taking a flyer on him, putting him you know, behind Mitch Trubisky, letting him sit and developing him. I could see him going to a team like New Orleans that needs a quarterback and you know, again, he could sit behind Jameis who only signed a two year deal. Hell, I could see him on a team uh, like Carolina where we've seen him projected so many times. Those teams seem to be really interesting places for Matt Corral to land and I really like the potential for his upside in this draft class. So with all of that being said, you know, we, we raved a lot about like the off-platform throws that he has, um, which is the same reason that everyone loved Zach Wilson. And I think that when you look at a quarterback like Zach Wilson, um, who, you know, was being comped to like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes with his off-platform throws, as a rookie, that can be really, really terrifying as we ended up seeing manifest with Zach Wilson's performance last season. But when I take a look at a quarterback who sits for a couple of years on a team that has, you know, some veteran coaching, hell, even if he ends up in Minnesota and he's sitting behind Kirk Cousins uh, and he doesn't play for another two years, I think that that type of skill set then becomes really interesting because you can coach the terrible throws out of him. Overall, I see the potential for Matt Corral to be a high QB2 at the upper end of his ceiling. And when you, you know, look at his prospect profile, I think that I'm, you know, I have him as QB3 in this draft class simply because no one is really talking about him. And as a result, we don't know where he's going to land. It'll make a big difference to me if a quarterback like Matt Corral ends up in Detroit versus if he ends up in Washington versus if he ends up in New York versus if he ends up in Pittsburgh. All of those situations matter and accordingly, Matt Corral is sitting here at number 9 overall. Number 10. Wide receiver Chris Olave from Ohio State. Now, Chris Olave was really, really high on my list a couple months ago, but over time, this guy just keeps dropping. And here's the reason why. Chris Olave has been spectacular at Ohio State. We've seen him really pop off for the last couple of years, but we saw him come back last year for his senior year, which is always really concerning for players, uh, just based on the historical data, for players who, you know, have an impeccable junior year and stay for their senior year. Now, 
The number that really sticks out to me is that he couldn't crack 20% dominator rating his senior year, and Garrett Wilson was able to do that. His BMI is also around 25, you know, and, you know, sitting at 189 pounds, I'd like to see him get a little beefier, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. I think the part that really concerns me about Chris Olave is the fact that when you look at his graph, which I'll put up on the screen right now, of his uh, yards after catch per reception versus his average depth of target, you can see that he falls below that regression line. So what are the implications of that? Well, players who are above this line indicate that they're more athletic. They are catching the ball down the field and they are doing something with the ball after the fact. If a player is below this line, this means that they're either not being targeted very far down the field, or once they get the ball, they're not really getting a lot of yak after it. And the reason this is important is because this is a measure of athleticism literally on the football field. And we have seen, according to different pieces of research, that this is an interesting predictor of NFL success. We can't necessarily port over college success to the NFL, but this is an on-field measure of athleticism. And when I mix in the concerns about Chris Olave, um, he's fallen down my list clearly here, I believe at my wide receiver four, um, which is much worse than what I had him, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. But here's the saving grace for Chris Olave for me. I still think he's gonna get first round draft capital where he goes makes a huge difference. Because if he ends up in places like the LA Chargers, which I see him projected to, uh, he could be sitting, uh, or he could be playing as the wide receiver three behind Keenan Allen, behind Mike Williams, and then playing as the wide receiver three, I really, really like his potential. But if he goes somewhere even like Green Bay, he will be getting volume even if he isn't really wide receiver one talent. I mean, look at what Devonta Smith did in Philly last year. I've never looked at Devonta Smith as a wide receiver one in the NFL. I view him as a wide receiver, a low wide receiver one on some days when you need him to be. But as evidenced by his production, he really would fit the role and do really, really well as a wide receiver two, uh, you know, at his peak value. I think that that's the same for a player like Chris Olave. And looking at, you know, the tier drop off that we see with players after this pick, I really think that Chris Olave is the last player that should be getting first round draft capital if you have a rookie pick. If you have a pick after the 10th player in this draft, I think you should trade that first round pick. I think you should trade it, go cash out, go get more picks, go move it over for 2023 picks. If no one's trading you those, 2024, hell, trade that pick for like, I don't know, Chase Claypool. I am seeing some trades on Twitter um, and across different, uh, you know, leagues that I'm looking at where Chase Claypool is going for a late first round pick. At this point, you're just trying to cash in some lottery tickets. And Chris Olave definitely gives you the opportunity to do that. A lot of pros, a lot of cons. It literally could go either way. And I think at pick 10, it's worth taking the chance. Number 11, Desmond Ritter, quarterback for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now this quarterback is my first, second, third, fourth off of my list here in the first round. And this really has to do with the fact that there are two factors really lifting Desmond Ritter's stock for me in this rookie draft. 
The first is simply positional value. Uh, I think that Desmond Ritter is, you know, in the next tier of quarterbacks in this draft class with Sam Howell, um, uh, really with Sam Howell as a tier two quarterback in this NFL draft class. Um, but there is inherent positional value that you're getting at the 11th overall pick. I mean, last year we were seeing Mac Jones go somewhere in the 109 to 112 range. And I think that that's a really good place to take a quarterback if he's getting the requisite draft capital. Now, will he get that requisite draft capital? Um, I think that it's totally possible. If you look at the quarterbacks that benefited the most from the NFL Combine, I think that Desmond Ritter falls into that group. He had a really strong performance, scouts and coaches really liked uh, what they had to see, he got a lot of positive commentary, and no one is really looking at Desmond Ritter as a quarterback that's going to start week one in the NFL in 2022. Everybody knows that he's got talent, but he needs to be developed. His talent is not on the same level as Malik Willis. His body of work is not the same as Kenny Pickett. His high-level athleticism and his explosive plays are not those of Matt Corral, but he has shades of a lot of successful traits in the NFL. As we've talked about, his anticipation is really good. We think that Desmond Ritter uh, really can leverage his run game in the NFL. And again, if he goes to a place like Pittsburgh, if he goes to a place like New Orleans, hell, even if he goes to Tampa Bay, right, and he's sitting behind Brady and has to fight it out with Kyle Trask in order to have that quarterback job once Brady retires, I think that Desmond Ritter is a guy that I want sitting on my team just in case. I don't think that he's going to get first round draft capital, but I can see a team drafting Desmond Ritter somewhere in the second round. And I think that that's a really interesting value proposition because he could even go to Indianapolis, right? And sit for three years behind Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan finally decides to retire. And now we've had the opportunity to develop him for three years. Very similar to Jordan Love, right? Jordan Love, they, the, the Packers drafted him with the anticipation that he's going to be a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers' future. They knew he wasn't NFL ready. They needed to develop him. They spent three to four years developing him, and now look at where we're at. Like, people don't really think that Jordan Love has really panned out. But that has a lot more to do with the development of that player and his raw potential. In other situations, we've seen it work out, literally like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and I think that Desmond Ritter has that potential too. Um, not to be Aaron Rodgers, of course, but to be a quarterback that is groomed into a successful starting NFL quarterback. So once again, towards the end of the first round, I'm looking at a quarterback that is going to get NFL investment. I think that it's a pretty good bet for a player like him to be sitting on your team at 111. And that brings me to the final pick of this rookie mock draft. At number 12, I'm taking wide receiver Jamison Williams of Alabama. Now, Jamison Williams is a prospect who tore his ACL in the NCAA championship game. Um, Jamison Williams really came onto the scene this year after two years of not really playing uh, at Ohio State, transferred to Alabama, and really facing no competition, became the number one receiver in that offense. As I talked about in the wide receiver video, Jamison Williams is an outlier case because he doesn't have data for two full years and then popped his junior year. Um, and I think that, you know, right here is an interesting place in a draft to take a player with Jamison Williams' profile. 
we have seen him really, really do well in college. Uh, he doesn't have enough data for me to take him number one overall, or as at the very least as a wide receiver number one. But at the 112 position, I think that I'm swinging um, and I'm trying to see where this player can take me and my team. I really think that he has the potential to be successful in the NFL coming back to this chart that I showed around Chris Olave where his athleticism is clearly there, right? He's got yards after catch, he's got average depth of target, um, and he's above that line, which indicates that not only is he being thrown the ball deep down the field, an average depth of target around 15 yards, uh, but he's also getting an average of about eight yards um, uh, after catch per reception. So he is catching the ball down the field and he's going further with the ball after he's made those catches. So in the NFL, what is Jamison Williams? I don't know. But like I mentioned for Chris Olave, put him in a situation like Green Bay, put him in a situation like the LA Chargers, hell, put him in a situation like the LA Rams, you know, somewhere in one of those compensatory picks in the second or third rounds. I think that Jamison Williams is a really interesting player to take at the end of a first round rookie draft, because this is the sweet spot. You're not going to get any players that are going to be game breaking for sure. Everything at the end of the first round is risk. But Jamison Williams is a guy that I want to take a risk on at this point in the draft, and I think you should too. And so that brings us to the end of today's video. Thank you for watching today's video. If you like this content, please make sure to like and subscribe to The Breakout. Again, we really appreciate it. Make sure to comment down below. Follow me on Twitter, at RealAbhiGupta, and we will catch you next time.